Corinthians chapter 12. Focusing our attention on the church and our responsibilities in the church, the privilege of being in the church, our love for the church. My title for the message is Falling in Love with the Church. And you may think, but wait a minute, shouldn't that be falling in love with Jesus? Listen, that's a no-brainer. I don't need to tell you to fall in love with Jesus. You should fall in love. You should be loving Jesus because he died for your sins and rose again, as you heard time after time this morning. Love him with all of your heart and all of your strength and all of your mind. But you know what you do need to be reminded of? Christ loves the church. He does say in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So Jesus died for the church. He has washed the church from her sins and will someday present the church to his Father, and we will be his glorious bride for all eternity. We are the bride of Christ. We ought to love the church, being in the church. Coming to church should be the greatest joy and thrill. It should be the highlight of the week. For me, it is. And granted, I come here during the week to study and to prepare and to counsel and all of that, but coming here for public worship is like the highlight of my week. It doesn't get any better than this right here. Seriously. I could be doing any number of things during the week for whatever reasons, but nothing beats getting together with God's people, worshiping our risen Savior. And I want you to love being in the church. I want you to love the church, love each other. But it requires a certain attitude is really what it requires. Because there's a couple of attitudes out there about being a member of a church. One of the attitudes is kind of like it's a country club or a civic organization. Now, I've never joined a country club. I, I don't know anything about that. I've, uh, one time, they, years ago, before I was saved in the, and I was in the business community, they wanted me to join the Moose Lodge. You know, and so there's all sorts of requirements and things. And I went to one of their moose meetings, and and after the secret handshake, I thought, I'm out of here. I mean, I'm not. And it was a lot of privacy and secrecy, and I was like, uh, this is not for me. But you know what the idea of a country club mentality is for membership? You go in and you pay your dues. Whatever number of dollars per month is just required, you pay your dues, and then you expect all sorts of wonderful services, golf carts for the uh, golfing ex- you know, excursions and you expect this and that and, and a place to sit here and a thing to do here and I can use it here and I cannot use you know, You just expect lots of perks and privileges with a membership at a country club. The church is not a country club. You don't pay your dues and you expect all sorts of perks and privileges. Rather, like our Savior, you love the church and you give sacrificially. It's an attitude that when the church has the right attitude about the church, then the whole church grows together in the, in the unity in the person of Christ. And that's the ultimate goal. The goal of our church is to give glory to God. And we do that by being the right kind of people with the right types of attitudes. And 1 Corinthians 12 is such a great text about church membership. I'm not going to deal with is membership in the Bible. Even churches that have no membership have a membership. It may not be formal identification like we have in this sense, but they have some. If I went to a church that does not practice membership, and I were to walk in on any given Sunday, and they don't know me, or maybe they know me, and I were to say, hey, I want to teach your Sunday school class today. Let me in. I want to teach your Sunday. What Would they let me teach their Sunday? They'd say, no way. We don't know you. We don't know your background. We don't know your doctrine. You can't teach our Sunday school until... You're here long enough and we get to know you and then we get to know your doctrine. Then you can teach. 
So even though they say we have no membership, you try to get in there, you got to have some kind of membership, even though it may not be qualified as that. So we do have maybe not a super formal, but a formal membership where I can tell you right now who is on our membership role and who is not, who's numbered in our church family and who's not. The Bible says pastors are accountable for the souls in the church, the flock. Does that mean that anybody who walks in the church, I'm now accountable before the throne of God for them? Whoa, I could not sleep at night. I have a hard time sleeping at night anyways. But if I were responsible for every single soul that walks in this building, I would be overwhelmed with burden. But already there's a great burden because those who are identified as members, I have the responsibility to watch and guard and keep and protect and care for like a shepherd does a flock. But it's, it's a group that I can tell you, yeah, there's certain people that are part of the membership and part aren't. Much like a body. I can tell you this right now. This hand, it belongs to me. Yes, it does. It belongs to me. My eyes, they belong to me. They don't belong to Doug. They are my eyes. So I can tell you right now, you all belong to us. We are part of the body of Christ. So we're just going to glance quickly at four, four attitudes about membership. And the reason I picked these out today... I gave everybody at one time this book, I Am a Church Member by Tom Rainier. Everybody who goes through the membership class gets one of these. It is six principles about being a member of a local church. Tom uh, Rainier, it's a, it's a great book. It is very practical. And, and I did. I, I borrowed or took some points out of that and said, you know what, these are biblical and let me show you how this changes our, our church and our family. But everybody should already have one of these, and if you are newer to the church, you, may, you might not, but I, I think it's a great, and I have extras, and I'll give a family one of these. Um, the new members just already received one, but I thought, hey, while we're adding some members to the church, let's also be reminded of some great responsibilities. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text of scripture. It is, it is great in just revealing the necessity to glorify you. Thank you for our church family that you have assembled here. Help us to remember these truths and to live them out so that the church is strengthened, that Jesus is passionately pursued, that the lost are reached, and we will in heaven be, um, be before your presence. So I pray for all of these things, Father, that that our church would be strengthened and knit together even tighter as each part does its share. Thank you again for the body and this whole metaphor of the church being a body of Christ. And may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Now, let's begin, and uh, it's, it's hard, you know, this is still expository, but it is very hard to jump right into the middle of a chapter uh, towards the end of a book if we don't get the understanding of it. But because of our time, I can't take the liberty to explain that all the different issues that the church of the Corinthians had. But the Corinthian church had lots of, they did, they had lots of issues. The, one of the key issues identified early in the book is that they were envious and jealous of one another. They were picking people because of favoritism and partiality. There was a group that said, hey, I'm a Dick follower. I'll follow Dick anywhere. His teaching, it's the best. Nobody can preach the gospel or give the gospel like Dick. He's the guy I'm going to follow, and I'm going to be one of his students. Another person said, hey, I'm an Ed follower. I'll follow Ed. I don't want to follow Dick. I'll follow Ed. Ed's got this charisma and personality, and man, he's the guy that I'll follow after. And pretty soon there are all these divisions and strife. And, and then there were other issues about spiritual gifts. Some people said, you know what? I don't really like the gift of serving because nobody, I don't get any attention serving. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody thanks me. I just 
don't like that. So I would rather have the gift of speaking in tongues, and I'm going to let everybody know what kind of flashy person I am and how much the Spirit loves me, and I'm going to be, everybody's going to be looking at me all the time. And Paul says, this is not right. This is just not right at all. So in the context of the use of spiritual gifts and the division and the strife that was being brought about in the church, Paul reminds us in verse 12 where it all began. Look at verse 12 with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, he's talking about our physical body. As our physical body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. See the contrast between one and many? How many bodies up here do you see on the platform? One. I am one body. But I have many, many members. My members are not just a collection of autonomous parts. My arm is not autonomous and just simply does what it wants. And then this arm does what it wants. And then this leg does what it wants. And then my, you know, it's not just a conglomeration of all sorts of, of independent autonomous parts. Rather, my body is many, many members with all sorts of functions that are interdependent. They all work together for the good of the whole body. So when I step off a curb and I'm going to get run over by a car, my eyes see the car and my eyes send a huge alert right to my brain. And then my brain says, all right, feet, get moving. And then my feet obey and they get moving. And this is how my body is all interdependent parts. You, Faith Baptist, are not just a collection of autonomous individuals. You're not just believers that are here autonomously doing your own thing, calling your own shots, running your own direction. But we're interdependent. Our very life depends on each other. It depends on being here and being with each other. That is how the body survives. But remember, there's only one body. Not many bodies. There's just one body of which we're all a part of. Verse 13 tells us how we got into the body. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were all immersed into the body of Christ. The very moment you were born again, like Tom and Jelaine testified, and Don and Vicky and David testified about their salvation, the very moment they believed, they were immediately by the Holy Spirit baptized into the church. They were put into the body of Christ. That is how they became a member. They became a member through faith in Jesus Christ. It was instantaneous, and like Tom said, it didn't have to be flashy or showy, lightning strikes and thunder and a voice from heaven. I doubt that happens these days. Certainly not the voice from heaven. But at at a moment in time, you are no longer in the world. You are now in Christ. You are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ, the body of Christ. It is instantaneous. It may not be emotional. It might be. But it is permanent, and it's never repeated. Much like the baptism today. The water baptism identifies them with the local church, and it's never to be repeated. So that is how you became a member of the church in this church age. You trusted Jesus, and you were baptized into the Spirit. I'm sorry, baptized by the Spirit into the one body. Whether you were Jew or Greek, or if you were slave or free, it didn't matter. Your rank or status or ethnicity, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So there's such a unity here in the church. We all got into the church the same way. Grace through faith in Jesus alone. But now he goes on and he says this, verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So although I have one body, you still have to remember there's many, many members. So my first point this morning, just being about a, a, be a part of the church family, I want you to commit or recommit to being a functioning member of the church. It is critical that we be functioning members of the local church. Here's how he says it. Verse 15. For if the foot should say, 
Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am out of the body, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? The whole point is this idea of function. Every part of the body needs to be functioning in order for it to be healthy. The body has many members, right? There's a variety of members on this body. So I did a little bit of research and some scientific things. Do you know that the hand? The hand has eight wrist bones, five bones in the palm, and 14 bones in the digits. My two hands together compose 25% of all of the bones in my body. Just in the hands. So isn't that amazing? Listen, my hands move, they, they rarely stay still. They move all the time. It's estimated 25 million flexes in a lifetime. 25 million times I'll be doing this. Isn't that incredible? And, and listen, they're, they're rarely tired. Um, there are, in each hand, thousands of nerve endings, with most of the nerve endings, by the way, thousands of nerve endings per square inch, and most of the nerve endings are all here in the fingertips so that I can distinguish coins, I can feel soil, I can, t- I can touch different fabrics, and instantly know in my mind what they look like and what they're, li- and w- what they're like based on just the, f- the nerve endings in my finger. The foot, on the other hand, has 26 bones, 107 ligaments, and 19 muscles. It can balance a 6-foot, 200-pound man with no problem, and every time you step, you're putting that type of force on your entire body. Do you know how far you walk in a lifetime? 65,000 miles on average, which, given the radius of the Earth being 4,000 miles, you go two, over two and a half times around the whole planet in your lifetime, walking around the entire planet. Two and a half times. Are our feet phenomenal? So Paul says, listen, in the, the body is one body, but many members, and you cannot discount any member. But every member must do its work. Every member must function. So if... If, if, an, if a foot says, hey, I'm not a hand, so I'm not going to do my job, if my feet don't do its job, it's going to be very dangerous. When I'm driving to church this morning, as the whole body is functioning in unity um, with the diversity of gifts, if my feet all of a sudden said, hmm, I want to stop working in this body, I'm not going to function anymore. Well, I've got a problem with stopping then. And I've got a problem with accelerating. So now my whole body is in jeopardy of, of death. Because my feet simply said, hmm, I choose not to function. Now, do you see how this applies to the whole church family with gifts? God has given us a plethora of gifts, many different gifts. But Peter says there's really two types of gifts. There's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. The speaking gifts, I believe, are this. Evangelist. You got somebody like a Dick Peterson who's just a proclaimer of the gospel, handing out tracts. New babes being born all the time. We need somebody like with that speaking gift. Then we've got a pastor gift in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, and that's a gift God has called me to, and it's guiding, feeding, and uh, guarding the flock. So you have to have an evangelist getting new salvation decisions. You have to have a pastor that will care, guide, lead, and feed the flock. Then there's another speaking gift in the Bible called the teacher. And the teacher over a long period of time, teaches one scripture after another after another over a long period of time so that the children can grow up to be full-grown full adults. And then you have the exhorter. 
Because if you only have the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, you're missing somebody to come alongside. The exhorter is like somebody coming alongside Charlie or Russell and saying, hey guys, here's what the word of God says. Here's how it was taught. Here's how you obey it. Let's obey it. And I'm going to hold you accountable and let's obey it together. I'm going to come alongside you and help you to obey. Can you imagine if one of those gifts is missing? If the gift of evangelist is missing in our church, what happens? Nobody's getting saved. If the gift of pastor is, is missing in the church, what happens? The church is under attack and it's no longer guarded and we fall apart. There's false doctrine. Um, if, there's, if there's no feeding, then there's no growth and the growth is stunted. All sorts of things happen. There's no direction. All sorts of happens, things happen if the pastor's gone and not here. What happens if there's no teacher? Well, you've got a lot of new people being born and you've got a lot of caring and guiding and leading, but you've got no growth. And then what happens if there's no exhorter? You get all sorts of this head knowledge, but nobody's living it out. Your church is a mess. So everybody who has a speaking gift ought to, ought to be using their function. So commit or recommit. I will use my gifts in the church. I will be a functioning member of the church. I'm not going to sit back and let everybody else do it. I'm going to use my gift for the glory of God, and the whole church will be strengthened. Now, what about the other gifts that are serving gifts? Peter identifies serving gifts. I think here are some of the serving gifts. I don't think. I know. I'm sorry. I keep saying that I think, but I know this from the scriptures. Romans chapter 12 says there's the gift of administration. The gift of administration is a serving gift. It means captaining or piloting a boat from one destination to another. We need people in the church with the gift of administration that can say, here's where Faith Baptist Church is right now. Here's where we need to be in one year, three years, five years, ten years. And then here's how we're going to get there. Do this, this, this. It's called administration. We need that gift. There's also the gift called mercy. This word in the Greek, it means one whose heart is broken over the needs of another. Do we need people like that in our church? Oh, you bet. There are people hurting in our church all the time. And the people with mercy, they see the hurt and they have such, such compassion. And they're like, we need to do something. We need to act. But there's another serving gift. It's the gift of the giver. One who gives of their resources and possessions. Because, isn't that a great gift? But it's a serving gift. And then there's another gift, and it's the gift of helps. And it's the idea, same word as deacon, to cut through the dust. Diakonos means to cut through the dust. It was used of serving in the ancient world. You know, they had dirt floors back then. Let's say that you're serving at a restaurant and somebody needs something. You run back to the kitchen and then you go to the person and give it to them. And then somebody else needs something. And then you run to the kitchen and then you run back. And every time you run, you're leaving what? A little trail of dust. You're cutting through the dust. You're so quick to serve. We need people like that. Can you imagine if one of those is missing? There's no gift of administration being used in the church family. What happens? Well, there's no direction. We're like a ship in a, in a fog going here and there and hitting this and that. It's crazy. We need administration. What about the gift of mercy? If nobody, if you have the gift of mercy and you're not using it, there's going to be people with sorrow and loss and nobody knows. Because the gift of mercy hasn't been used. But then, let's say that the gift of giving is gone. The liberal, generous givers are gone. Well then, you could have all the administration you want. You could even have the mercy. But there's no resources to give. There's no resources to accomplish anything. So the church falls apart. And then, let's say you have all the administration and all the gifts, and you have all the mercy, but nobody to help. 
Well, none of the needs are being met and the whole church falls apart. Do you see how every function is important? My whole body has to function as a unit. And if my hands simply say, I'm done, or let's say my mouth right now says, okay, you're done. We're done. We're over. We can't go any further. And this is what Paul is saying. There were people in the Corinthian church that said, I'm not, I don't have the gift of tongues, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to let everybody else, and I'm just going to complain and whine and murmur and all of that. I'm not, you know, not going to be a part of that. So we just have to commit, hey, I will be a functioning member of the church. It is just vital that we use our gifts to God's glory. By the way, your spiritual gifts, it's a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just your human talent. It is a special gift that God has given us, gift or gifts that God has given us at the moment of our salvation. Now, how do you know what your gift is? Don't think too hard, and don't have, you don't have to take surveys, and you don't have to... Oh, come on, I have seen it all. You know, you know how to know what your gift is? Do something. Do something in the church. Wash a floor. Wash the bus. Clean the bus cell. Clean the garage. Give something say something, do something, and all of a sudden your gift comes to life. Because our gifts come to life when I use it with one another. I can sit in my study all day and recite my sermon. It does nothing for anybody, but my gift comes alive when I'm with people using my gift. Now, if you're not here, can you exercise your gift? No, because your gift is for others, not for yourself. So if you sit on a deserted island and exercise your spiritual gifts, it means nothing. It means nothing at all. Your gift is only good when it's used for others in the body of Christ. And this is Paul's whole point. We need to be functioning members of the church. So he says it again in verse um, 17. If the whole body were an eye, what would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, well, where would be the smelling? If all of us had the same gift, then something is lacking in the whole church and, and it's futile. Verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. See, God is doing something at Faith Baptist that is remarkable. His will is being accomplished. This is how exciting it is. God has set in the body the members as it pleases him. He's looking down at Faith and he's thinking, hmm, you're missing some spiritual gifts. There's some things that aren't being done that need to be done. I've got a Tom and Jelaine that are going to fill that void. They're going to be the, the hands, the elbows, the lungs. They'll be something. And they're going to contribute to the strength and the health of the whole body. And we rejoice. Isn't that exciting? This is not an accident. This is all part of God's plan. God is setting the members in the body just as it pleases him. Everybody has value. Everybody is important. And without your gift, something major is lacking. You are missed and you are hurt. But you know what most people feel like? Most people feel like, it doesn't, my gift doesn't matter. And if I'm not here, nobody suffers. It's not true. It's much like the body. But one part's missing. I've never missed a limb or a finger. I've never cut off an arm or a leg. But when those are missing, yeah, your body does suffer. And so we have to remember that. Every part doing its share brings health to the whole body, and of course it's all done by the design of God. But look at the second point. I will be a unifying church member. 
Going on in verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body, where would the body be? We need that variety of functions, variety of gifts. Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, but how many bodies? One body. So there's a, a unity. There's a great diversity of gifts, speaking and serving gifts, but there's still an overall unity that we've got to protect and that we have to guard and we have to look at. He goes on and says in verse 21, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nobody can say that. Why? Because we are interdependent. We need each other. We need every single gift. So we, we commit. Here's our second commitment as a church member. Not only am I going to be, I'm going to be used and function according to my gifts, but secondly, I will be a unifying member of the church. Can you imagine if my hand started to rebel against my body? Started hitting me, started slapping me, started grabbing. This, it would be awful to have this hand a part of my body. If it, was, if it was doing such a thing. There's no way that my hand can say, I have no need of the lungs. Because as soon as the lungs are gone, how good is the hand? No good. My feet could never ever say, hmm, let's get rid of the eyes. I don't need the eyes. Just can't do that. Because as soon as my eyes are gone, what happens to my whole body? Now I begin to grope in, in my, try, try, try to find stability and try to find my way. Paul says we need to strive to be unifying members because we're dependent on each other. Nobody can say, I don't need others. There's no such thing as a freelance Christian. As a matter of fact, listen, you guys, every Christian in the New Testament was identified with the local church. Every single one. I mean, you could say the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. But again, that was so early in the church age, there wasn't assemblies all over. But later on, Every time Paul wrote, he said to the church in Corinth, to the church in Thessalonica, to the church in Berea, to the church in Athens. I mean, so it was on and on and on. Everybody was identified somewhere. And, and the whole idea, again, is that God is arranging us and putting us together, and we are dependent on each other. Verse 22. No, much rather... Though, um, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Now, when it comes to playing the piano, what's more important, my lungs or my hands? When it comes to playing the piano, my hands. But again, I may think my lungs aren't necessary to play the piano, but they, it really is. It's really very kind of necessary. And he's going to get in this whole idea of modesty and appropriateness and, and honor. My hands, I don't have to cover up. Everybody can see my hands all the time. But there are other parts that, that I need to cover up just for modesty's sake. And the parts that covered up, that get covered up, actually have the greater value. Because I can still live without hands, but I cannot live without, a, without my lungs. And so God says, hey, be careful where you put your priority and partiality in the gifts. It may look like the pastor is the biggest gift in the church because... I'm the most public and vocal. It's not true. I mean, it is a vital part of the, of the church gifting, but every part has value. Every part gets honor, and every part is necessary. Don't ever think there's not a place for you. He says in verse 23, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, like the kidneys, the lungs the heart, we think they're less honorable. On these we bestow greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Because even the clothing kind of brings dignity to the whole body. So when I put a suit on, it's clothing my body and giving modesty, but also it's, it's, um, there's greater honor there. And so the idea in the church is don't be looking at others' gifts and saying, I'm not needed, I'm not necessary, so-and-so can do it. You know one of the problems in the church today? It's the idea that the pastor is paid to do the ministry. I am paid to set aside time for prayer and the word so you can be equipped for the ministry. But who does the work of the ministry? Is it all the pastor? And the idea is no. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. My function is to equip you to do the work of the ministry so that we're all doing things because I can only do so many things with, with the, the gifts that God has given me. I can only reach so many people and I can only do so much. But when a hundred of us are equipped for ministry... We've got way more ministry being accomplished all week. Way more people are giving out the gospel. Way more people are being encouraged. Way more people are being taught than if I was the only one doing things. So the mentality is, everybody has the work in the ministry. And again, we, we strive to keep and promote the unity of the church. He continues on by saying in verse 26, Oh, I'm sorry. Go back to verse 24 for a quick, a quick moment. But our, this is be quick. But our presentable parts have no need, but God com- composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which, which lacks it. This idea that God composed the body, again, it's by his will and design. Um, the word composed, it means to blend together, to knit and to blend together. Much like, can you imagine when Melissa made the peach cobbler for the church picnic today? She made it last night. And uh, can you imagine if all the ingredients didn't want to get blended together? And the flour said to the sugar, get out of here. I'm just the flour. There's no unity here. I'm the flour. You're the sugar. Let's keep separate. And then the peaches with the sauce that goes with it. Can you imagine if all the peaches all of a sudden rebelled and said, hey, I want nothing to do with that sauce. Can you imagine what that would look like in a dish? You'd have a little clump of flour, a little clump of sugar, peaches that are dry and wilted, and then you'd have some sauce. And that's, so that's not the way it works. God is blending the whole body together. We're all thrust together. And um, really, we're, we're blended together and we're coming out with a product that's far better than any one, one gift by itself. And then, um, everyone is necessary. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body. See, there's the division. God is composing the body, blending it together, so that there's no divisions, no, no schism, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So when Tom and Jelaine and Don and Vicki and David are joining the church, they are growing in love. Just like you guys mentioned, I thought it was really cool. They are growing in love with you all. And just over a matter of months. And I've, I've just gotten to know Tom and Jelaine a little bit. Don and Vicki I know better just because of time. But I'm looking forward to to spending time and growing together and meeting needs and being refreshed so that really our lives have blended greatly together. There's no division. There's no schism. And then it says um, that the members should have the same care for one another. So we're just adding member upon member that we can lavish care and attention and be meeting spiritual and physical needs on. It's an exciting thing. The church is a great place. It is a living organism, just full of life and vitality. And then, quickly, the third text. 
The third point, I will not let the church be about me. We already saw that in verse 21. And this comes right out of Tom Rainier's book. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You just can't do that. I'm not going to let the church be about me or about my gift. Um, Members should have the same care for one another. He says in verse 26, And if one member suffers, all a member suffer with it. So, the thumb gets hit with the hammer. Who feels it? My big toe feels it. My whole body feels it. Um, I eat something really, really sour. Who feels it? Every part of my body feels it. So when one suffers, we all grieve. We all surround them and feel the same suffering. And when one is honored, we all rejoice. We're all ecstatic and happy for them. But the whole church is unified, functioning well together. And it's not about one person. I was thinking about James 4. In James 4, remember I covered this last fall. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Where does it come from? From the desires for pleasure, that battle, that war within. Every single day in my body are my selfish pleasures and pursuits, and they rise up at a moment's notice, ready to go to battle for myself. And they are eager and quick to fight. And yet, that's not the attitude or the responsibility of a church member. It's not about me. It's about the body of Christ. It's about God's glory and the whole end of it all. God being glorified. And then the last one, 1 Corinthians 13. Going back very quickly, Paul says you can have all the spiritual gifts in the world, but if you don't have love, it means nothing. It is empty. Tell you what, one of the key ingredients to our church, I will commit to unconditional love. I will be functioning in the church. I will function. I will use my gifts to the glory of God. I will be a unifying member of the church, not bringing about division and strife, but I'm going to be bringing unity. And then thirdly, the church is not about me. Um, By the way, it's interesting. I've heard of churches that have had all sorts of wars and fightings over color of the carpet, color of the wall. You know, we have never had an issue over the color of the carpet. Um, But again, we have a, those are things that come up all the time. We're looking at new carpet. We have to get carpet in the basement, in the back hall, and Can you imagine if I demanded my way or my rights? And we have to come to some type of agreement, for sure. Um, But if it's not the perfect color for me, hey, that's not, it's not about me. It's not about what I want or what my rights are or my, because you know what? When I became a believer in Jesus, I lost my rights. I'm his slave. I'm his servant. But I do covenant to do this, love unconditionally. Using your gifts, of course, is all about love. Love never retaliates, it's patient, never rises up in anger, ever, never seeks to justify itself. Love always has kind actions, never envies, never prades itself. In other words, it doesn't draw attention to self at all. It's never puffed up. It never behaves rudely. It never seeks its own, its own way or its own will. It's, it's never easily irritated. And it thinks no evil. And it doesn't rejoice if somebody falls in, in sin, but it does rejoice when others walk in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You find those exact same principles in Ephesians 4. So when we ended our membership class, you know, we talked about different things for those, for those different weeks, and then I gave the book. And as I reread the book, I thought, what a special thing to be reminded. I need to be reminded that as a, as a member of the church, 
this is what I want to do. Um, it's pretty exciting. You know what happens then? The whole church just transforms and changes the whole world. This church then goes out with power and glory. Christ is elevated. His power is known in the community. And people then get saved and join the church. And then they do the same thing. And it gets better and better as we get closer to Christ throughout all these years. Isn't that great? Listen, there's no no such thing as a perfect church. No, No such thing as a perfect pastor. Even with these five being added to the number of the church, it's still not a perfect church. And it never will be. But when we agree, just the importance of the body of Christ, um, I love the church. I love the church family specifically, you all that God has brought here. But I love the church. And um, you know why? Because Christ died for the church, washed the church, and will bring the church to heaven someday as his bride. Wow. So let's... um, Let's be the bride of Christ to, glory, to glorify him. And then it would be fun to see this afternoon, the baptisms, and hear just briefly each statement about their faith. And um, we, we will all rejoice as um, God continues to build his church. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please. It's good to be reminded of these things about the church. I know we've been in the Old Testament a lot lately. And we see the kingdom coming and the glory and all of those things with Jesus. But we have to remember that the age that we're living in, it's all about the church. And it's a special day today just to set aside time to remember. We have brothers and sisters who are being joined together. Their baptism is going to make a huge statement to the world, especially to us. But it's great to commit to our church family. That's what we ask our new church members to do. We want to be faithful in all these things. So I want to challenge you today. Whatever your spiritual gifts are, do something. Do something in the church to build up others. Strive for being a unifying member of the church. Having great need for one another. We are so interdependent. And then we want to, of course, make sure God is glorified in everything that we do. If you're not a believer, you've heard testimony about what God's grace can do. He died for your sins and rose again. Trust him. Father, thank you for our time together. Just to be reminded of the church. I thank you for the local church here that you are putting together. And um, step by step, piece by piece, person by person. And we're thankful that we can care for one another, even suffer with one another, and rejoice with one another. This is a special family. We are bound together. We are bound together by the gospel and the grace of God. So I pray that and in the days to come, our church would be strengthened. Our impact in the community would be greater even as the day of Jesus comes. And we do pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Thank you again that we have a church family like this that loves one another, serves one another. I just pray again for you to be honored and glorified this afternoon in the baptisms, even in our meal and everything that takes place. To Jesus Christ alone be the glory. Amen. All right. So, it's important.